Welcome to the Product Podcast, brought to you by Product School, the podcast where you get fresh insight from leaders at top tech companies and startups. Remember, you can learn product management in person at our 15 campuses worldwide or study with us online. Visit productschool.com to learn more about our courses. You can also hang out with the leaders from these podcasts at our hundreds of annual events and catch us at ProductCon, the world's largest PM conference that takes place every year across the United States and in London. I'll try to be quick. Uh, we did run out of some time. We'll try to be quick. But I'll try to make it worthwhile by providing some of the tools that you can use in your day-to-day -day life when you go back to your product life tomorrow. Cool. With that, let's begin. Uh, now let's imagine you are a product manager for connecting Bellevue and Seattle across our mighty Lake Washington. Over 70,000 people take 520 Bridge every day. When you compare, uh, when you put that in perspective, where in, uh, the alternative for that is to, to take inland road either through Renton or Kenmore. It saves about 40 minutes and 20 miles. Uh, it adds up quickly. It adds up quickly to over 15 million human hours every year. Think about it for a second. If you're a product manager who were to solve this problem, which is not only a multi-billion dollar problem, but it also is a huge impact to the humanity. You'll be contributing in advancing the humanity. This is huge impact, all right? Uh, as a good product manager, you would have done your customer research, market research, technology research, figured out uh, who your stakeholders are, what are the best ways to provide this connectivity. Uh, you would have experimented with ferries, inland roads, bridge over I-90, bridge over 520, uh, floating bridge, suspension bridge, and a lot more. Over 100 years, you would have run through different A-B tests, figured out what works, doubled down on it, figured out what doesn't work, pivot away from it, right? In over 100 years, you would have come to a conclusion that 520 bridge with a floating bridge on, on, on it is the best outcome for your customers, and you double down on it by converting an MVP, which existed for a long time, to a brand new V1 version that got released about a year, two years ago with a brand new infrastructure, more lanes. But you're not done here, correct? You still have V2, V3, V4 to go with the new upcoming opportunities and the market needs of uh, air taxi, tunnels, underwater bridges, and a lot more. Now, imagine you're a product manager for a similar problem in a software world. You being a good product manager, you would do your customer research, technology research, figure out the problem space, figure out your stakeholders, uh, design a lot of A-B tests, run through, uh, run through them to determine what works and double down on it and what doesn't work and, and pivot away from it. Like doing this, you would incentivize customers' behavior by providing offers, tools, and a lot more. But the good part is, you can do all of this in a matter of weeks, unlike the 100 year, 100 plus years that 520 Bridge took. If you think about it, imagine the impact you're, gener you're generating on, on advancing the humanity. You almost have a 5,000x multiplier on the impact that you think 520 Bridge had. You had like 5,000, 5,000x more multiplier. That's huge. That's basically how fortunate we are in software tech industry, in bringing in such impact at scale, bringing in effect that disrupts almost every field for good. We, being the product managers, act as a catalyst at the center of it. With that, let me introduce you to today's topic, KPIs to facilitate the culture of fail fast, learn, and iterate. You'll get three main things. Three main takeaways. First, understand why fail fast, learn, and iterate concept works 
in, uh, in today's world of agile software development. Second one, uh, how do you, you as a pro product manager, how do you use KPIs to speed up this adoption? And lastly, you have gone through this understanding of fail fast, learn, iterate process, use KPIs to, uh, to get your teams to adopt. How do you build the right culture to make this sustain, to take, make this adoption stick for a long time? Sounds good? Okay, let's dig in. Fail fast, learn, and iterate uh, is basically a concept in agile software development where it, the whole systems are built around uh, iteration as the center of it, and then there are things that, that are built around it to support this iteration. Uh, most often, or the famous one is the fail fast, learn, iterate, but then there are other things such as fail fast, learn faster, fail safe, uh, iterate faster, things like that. But at the end of the day, they all convey the same thing. Your job is to figure out how do you iterate fast, and then whenever you come up with ideas, build those solutions, build those services, find out how to measure it, and then ship it to the portion of the customers, uh, measure them, understand what works, double down on it by converting MVPs to V1, V2, V3 products. At the same time, whenever things doesn't work, learn from it, pivot away from it, or iterate on it to get to a more successful product. Uh, the failure part here is only a means so as to learn and iterate. In, in no means, it means that's the only way you can learn and iterate. Success just works fine. In fact, success just works uh, uh, fine for, for most of us. Uh, and continuous, like consistent successes would just work very well for learning and, and growing. But then these successes are very hard to find. Um, the current statistics is over 95% of startups fail, right? If success was easy, you would, we would all have learned a lot and by, by, by uh, having those successful uh, subsequent successes and iterate and, and grow from there. But these successes are so hard to find, by removing the stigma of requiring these successes as a prerequisite for learning and iterating, we are able to use failures as well as successes in this process of what can we use to learn and what can we iterate so rapidly so as to move towards a solution that works for customers, solve customer problems and generate customer impact. There are mainly two reasons why in today's world, failure is okay, failure is encouraged. Uh, not quite uh, uh, overemphasized yet, but there's still a lot more scope as an organization and as individuals to do more to encourage failures. But there are mainly two reasons why failures are okay. First one is, uh, cost of delivery. In today's world where everything is a software, pretty much everything is a SaaS, there are very few cases where uh, companies work on other things, but pretty much everything is a software service by cloud, where the cost of delivery has gotten very low. You can instantly update your customers' bits, software bits, uh, change experiences based on targeted customers, and a lot more. This basically means adoption of agile de software development and continuous delivery has given us a room to be very agile. We don't have to plan five years in ahead. We don't have to set on a path for five years with the current today's concern, knowing that they won't remain same six months to one year from now. We can plan for six months, we can plan for one year, keep experimenting, keep pivoting as and when we learn new things. This is, the re this is one of the reasons why failure is okay. Failure, because it's a short-term thing, we can always learn from it and iterate. Second reason why failure is okay is cost of iteration. As product managers, one of the things that's, that's kind of closely associated with us is how do we maintain 
and manage the cost of iteration to be low. If the cost of iteration is lower, that basically means you get to iterate more, you get, you get to iterate frequently, and you have a better chances of winning, understanding what exactly the customer problems are, and solve for it. And one of the ways you can manage this cost of iteration and keep it low is by focusing on building MVPs. MVP basically stands for Minimum Viable Product. There are a few other names uh, for the same, but represent the same, the same concept of how do I build something as cheaply as possible, as fastly as possible, to be able to understand or test the concept I have about this problem, customer problems that I think is the problem, and the solution that I think is the solution that solves the customer problem, right? So by focusing on just building MVP, just enough to validate our hypothesis, just enough to try out concepts, we can manage this cost of iteration lower. If things work, good. Understand what worked and double down on it. If things doesn't work, that's also good. It's not a failure, it's a good thing because you can now learn what did not work, what are the pivots, what are the anchors you can use, what are the levers that you can pull to be able to iterate on top of it and, and get to the success part. Uh, like in briefly, I mentioned about hypothesis. What I mean by that is when we use, when we don't think about building features, when we don't think about uh, generating large impact from early on, we think about how do we uh, understand, how do we know that we truly understand customer problems, and how do we truly know that the solutions that we are thinking about are the right solutions for our customers. Uh, I also often use hypothesis-driven product development in, in my day-to-day -day work. What that basically means is everything I do, every feature I build, every product update I do, every new product I release is all a hypothesis. Hypothesis about uh, what I believe is the customer problem. It's a problem hypothesis. Test that out with, do I really understand the customer problem? And once I understand the customer problem, then I come up with solution hypothesis on understanding, is this the right way to solve this customer problem with the best outcome for our customers, right? So having hypothesis-driven product development helps. And one of the main thing it helps us is, is uh, removing the personal attachments from the ideas, hence removing the bias that we have towards wanting to be successful. Failure is one of the biggest reasons why we hold back, right? If we remove the concept of success or failure by using the hypothesis framework, where hypothesis basically at the end of the day means you either validate or invalidate a hypothesis. It's never a good or a bad idea. It's never a success or a failure thing. At the end of the day, it's a hypothesis that you want to test by providing the right things in front of the customers and let the customers decide whether it's a good idea or a bad idea. This is the reason why uh, failure is okay and we, will, we can manage, as good product managers, we can manage the cost of delivery and cost of iteration lower. Let's spend some more time on understanding uh, what MVP means and how to build a good MVP. Using hypothesis framework works, but then how do we convert that into an iteration and a roadmap where uh, we deliver things uh, consistently with incremental value to customers ev through every iteration? Uh, this basically talks about if you're a product manager wanting to solve transportation problem from A to B, how would you go about thinking, understanding what customers really want and what solutions would work and what doesn't work? How do you build that customer relationship early on before even having a product? Uh, this basically means every iteration is providing those customer, customer incremental customer value. MVP is not about going to market fast. MVP is not about making profit. MVP is definitely not about the end product. MVP is, is, is not about building things in parts. MVP is about finding the cheapest and fastest way 
through which you can validate or invalidate your hypothesis, understand if the solution that you think uh, works is actually working, if not, learn from it, right? Um, if, you, if, you're, if your customer wants to go from point A to B, try it with things that are easy to invest, fastest to implement, get feedback on what works, what doesn't work, and move from there. If car is your ultimate goal, you don't have to start with the car. You can start with the scooter. You can start with the bike, and then keep iterating it. One of the questions you may have is, your customer is asking for a car, and I'm going to build a bike. Who would, who would pay that? Who would pay for that? And how, how would that even make sense, right? Uh, over the years, I thought about this and how to take this question um, and answer it correctly. Uh, this question was, in fact, asked by one of the engineers about three years ago, and I struggled then to answer the question. But over the years, uh, uh, I've figured out these are the two good examples that are out there, which talks to this iterative process. Talk to this, talk to this process of how to build MVP, not with the final product in mind, but having customer at the center of, center of your uh, product life and understanding what your customer truly wants. It's not about building the product that you want to build, but building what customer wants and how you impact, how you bring in that impact by solving customer problems. Uh, these are the two uh, fascinating examples. And when, when you look at the end, towards the end of these life cycles or at, towards the current age, current stage of these products, uh, nowhere it says or nowhere you can actually figure out that iPad, iPad is the end goal for iPod back then, right? Back then, uh, Apple iterated through various different products, understanding the customer needs, excelling, like excelling their organizational skill in providing touch experiences, thereby getting to a very successful product such as iPad. Similarly, when you look at the Alexa journey, uh, you, 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 we all consider, definitely consider that Fire Phone, uh, how many of you remember Fire Phone that it ever existed? Few, because it, 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 it never really took off, right? Uh, Firephone, the failures from Firephone basically led to how Alexa exists today through its iterative process, figured out how devices work, how ecosystem of uh, devices work, how the supply chain can be trained to bring in more and more devices to the ecosystem, how not building first-party devices could actually uh, lift the whole ecosystem of uh, IoT and uh, AI-driven IoT, right? If you look at it from the smart home perspective, having a dash button from Amazon doesn't make any sense. Like, how are you going from dash button to a smart home fully enabled with full IoTs? But through these iterative products, you actually get there. If product manager's job was all to convert uh, in, uh, customer requirements into engineering requirements, life would have been easy. Uh, our job is to figure out what customer really wants, figure out the market opportunities, create the opportunities where none exist, and build, build those organizational skills to uh, capture those market opportunities. Uh, three main things, three main summary points for this MVP that I, I want you all to remember is, the first one, MVP is, is only a means to find the cheapest and fastest way to test your hypothesis. Second, when you plan for iteration, each iterative step has to add incremental customer value. And the third one, uh, and, and the most important one is failure is okay. In fact, failure is only, a, is only the guaranteed way of providing the ample learning opportunity through which you can iterate faster and thus have better chances of being able to solve customer problems uh, quicker than before. Now that you have kind of understood how fail fast, learn, iterate, 
concepts work in agile software development? As product managers, what can we do to speed up the adoption? We know that this is good. What, do, what can we do to speed it up, speed, it, speed up the adoption in our teams and organizations? There are mainly two things we can do. First, uh, bring in team alignment with KPIs. KPI stands for Key Performance Indicator. Bring in team alignment so that there is a synergy to achieve for global maximum within the company versus each team operating in its isolation to deliver customer value for local, local maximum. The second thing we can do is to build the right culture in the team so as to facilitate this, the concept of fail fast, learn, and iterate. Facilitate that failure is okay as long as we are iterating fast and learning fast, right? Let's, let's, take, let's spend some time understanding how to use KPIs to speed up the adoption of fail fast, learn, and iterate process. KPIs are one of the ways to generate this large empathy at scale about your customer problems. Uh, KPIs don't come on its own, but as product managers, we need to spend a lot of time digging through the data, talking to customers, doing usability studies to figure out what are the metrics that matters more? What are the metrics we should use to, when, to, use to decide if a A-B test that we launched is a success or not? How should we pure? Things like that. Through those, we come up with the KPIs that, that matters more, the metrics that we use to, to make a final say, whether we should ship the thing or not, whether somebody should invest in a thing or not. Once these KPIs are well-defined within the team, uh, figure out how everybody can align towards it. And in fact, this is one of the things uh, company leaders should do, is to uh, lay out what are those one, or one to two KPIs that whole company should, should align towards. Unless you work in a two-people startup, every team would have a set of scope that they, they operate in, a set of uh, objectives they should achieve, set of uh, metrics that they need to move. If they operate in those local spaces, it's very natural for them to optimize for local maxima. Uh, often that may not mean that it's a good thing for the customer and a good thing for a company as a whole. One of the examples, uh, I work in identity space, and one of the typical examples in identity is when you look at the customer journey, the initial phase of acquisition through which a customer creates a customer account, goes through the sign-up process, gives in all your details, the, the boring, uh, the time-consuming details, which is often one of the biggest drop-off in the funnel. Um, but then you can increase sign-up conversion rate by asking for less things, but that doesn't necessarily mean it will translate to better uh, sign-up uh, retention rate down the line because we know less things about the users, hence we, don't have to, we, we may not be able to personalize that, that better. There are mainly, uh, you can use this tool of uh, three, three rule framework for evaluating if a KPI is a good KPI or a bad KPI. Measure, KPI has to measure customer experiences. You can have other set of metrics that measures uh, system performances, process performances, usage, and a lot more, but a KPI has to measure customer experience at first. Second, KPI has to be a leading indicator of the product impact. Third one, KPI has to be easy, should be defined such that it, it, has, it should be easy to understand and it actionable. Let's use this framework on two quick examples and see how this performs. Uh, NPS, how many of you know what NPS is? Pretty much everybody, right? We have been talking about NPS from the morning, like pretty much every speaker. Uh, NPS stands for Net Promoter Score, um, basically where you ask how likely are you to recommend this product or service to your friends and employees. 
How many of you think NPS is a good KPI for a company? Handful. How many of you think NPS is not a good KPI for, for a company? Little more than a handful. Uh, let's evaluate NPS against the three, three, uh, three rule check, all right? Uh, is NPS measuring customer experience? Uh, somewhat, yes, uh, because it, it's a direct feedback from the customer based on experiences they had on the product and services. So it's somewhat indication of customer experiences reflected through numbers. Two, is NPS uh, providing uh, the product impact or giving an insight about the product impact? I think so. NPS is basically a, a, a referral indicator, and referral indicator is a strong uh, indicator or approximatric for satisfaction, how satisfied is the customer about the product and services. Is NPS a simple metric to understand? Definitely no. It's a complex math. Just by looking at the formula, it's percentage of thumbs up minus percentage of thumbs down, and it goes from minus 100 to plus 100, and most of the successful products are in 60s range. It's not intuitive. It's a complex metric where getting unbiased answer is very hard, especially uh, since it's so contextual on when you collect NPS, just like App Store rating. Do you like the app? If yes, only then rate the app in the store. Otherwise, just give us feedback on how to improve, right? Let's take example of next example of uh, monthly active users. This is one of the commonly used uh, metric uh, across different companies. This provides a platform where you can compare multiple products, having uh, uh, rated them again on the same bar, be able to understand their growth and the future potential. Uh, monthly active users. Let's let's see how the three rule KPI works for for uh, monthly active users. Uh, does it measure customer experience? Not directly, but it does convey the more the usage, better the experience, hence more active users. Does it convey product impact? Definitely. Number of users, for example, if you take example Facebook, number of users using Facebook basically means how many people are connected to each other, and that's basically product impact that Facebook wants to achieve, right? Connecting the whole world uh, to have that collaboration. And is it a simple metric that everybody in the company can understand? Definitely, it's, it's, it's simply defined, everybody can relate to it, and everybody can directly contribute towards it. Some of the flat organization who call themselves flat basically have a company level KPIs that everybody can, every individual contributor can directly contribute towards that. Apart from uh, lesser middle managers, the KPIs that company defines is, is so flat that everybody can contribute directly to it. Hence, you can, it can have an impact in, in what company's impact is. Now, knowing how you can use KPIs to drive the adoption of fail fast, learn, iterate faster. The third thing that keeps everything together, culture is the glue, right? Unless we get the culture right, things will fall apart pretty quickly. And there is a famous saying, culture eats strategy for breakfast. You can have a world-class strategy, the best strategy to guarantee your success, but unless you get your culture right, the strategy is going to come down and, and, and this, the adoption you had is not going to stick for long. Uh, there are mainly two, thing, two things that I focus on when I think about this, adop adopting this or bringing this change into my team. The, the first one is decision-making process. Uh, Gibson talked about uh, some of the decision-making process, but uh, Jeff Bezos uh, in his 2017 shareholder letter, uh, by the way, how many of you read uh, Jeff Bezos' shareholder uh, letters every year. Quite a few hands. Uh, I find it one of the ins inspirational and lot of learning 
uh, that I get out of those shareholder uh, letters. There's so much of strategy, so much of product management, uh, mini courses out there that you can learn from, from that. Decision-making process basically says there are two types of decisions, type one and type two. Type one basically means uh, they're easily reversible uh, and, and you can take them as often and as fast as you can. Do not wait for 100% of the data to be able to make the decisions. If you wait for that long, you're, you're eventually bound to be too late. At the same time, if you have 70% of the data, go for it, make decisions. If they're bad, you can easily reverse them. Type two are those which are irreversible, takes longer time to get out of it. Those are the ones that require uh, more collaboration, more elaboration. Uh, but being in a software tech industry, over 95% of the time we take type one decisions, so we should take it faster. Enable everybody in the team to be able to decide, to make decisions, and if you have prioritization principles in, in place, then everybody will be able to make those decisions faster. Prioritization principles, there are many. The one that I use is mainly three-folded one. If ROI is, is better, then the, pri the priority of that project is higher. If the time to, con time to realize that impact is, is sooner, then the priority is higher. If there is a partner team taking a dependency on something that we build, then the, part the, the priority is higher. Once everybody in the team understands these prioritization principles, they'll be able to use the decision-making process to make those decisions faster, faster and faster, thereby contributing towards the learning and iteration. Uh, Leslie talked about whom you hire, whom you fire, and whom you promote often sets the culture for the company. Uh, culture is not something uh, you just have it in a deck, but be able to practice day in and day out. Only then the culture sticks. You can make people uh, make decisions and say that failure is okay, but unless you reward it accordingly, it's not going to stick. So like, like your, accept your company's or team's acceptance for failure will depend on how you reward uh, people's effort versus how you reward impact versus how you reward uh, learnings that, that organization produces. Most of the companies are very good at uh, rewarding impact, but you got to balance the impact versus uh, effort and learning. Uh, impact definitely is, is, is way ahead of the game and we got to, uh, we got to uh, uh, reward it, but along with that you also need to reward the learnings, the failures, the attempts and the efforts. Lastly, the, the favorite part for me, of the favorite part of for, for this culture is managing the cost of failure. This is something a product managers uh, uh, can do better, and one of the one of the key job description for us is to manage the cost of failure. As a team, we can be acceptable for failure, but as a product manager, we need to do our due diligence. We need to do our customer research, uh, figure out the best technology options, truly understand what customer wants through data and then be able to come up with these iterations where the chances of successes are higher. At the same time, be acceptable of failures to happen. With that, uh, to summarize, let's iterate faster and faster, more frequently, to be able to deliver customer value quickly. Let's challenge status quo, be able to find new ways of lowering cost of delivery, cost of iteration. Let's not forget we are fortunate to be in software tech industry where uh, we can build a bridge overnight. We can build, rebuild bridge over and over again till we get to a point of best outcome for our customers. We can in, like, affect change at a rapid scale, almost disrupt ev disrupting everything for good. Let's disrupt for good, let's fail fast, learn and iterate. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to the Product Podcast. If you like this episode, don't forget to leave a review on iTunes. 
For more product insights, head over to productschool.com.